we want to take a moment to read from the Bible. And that's what we do every Sunday. We read from the Bible and allow it to speak to our hearts. And today I'm going to start working through kind of the, just give you a, an overview of the book of Esther. Um, and if you haven't read the book of Esther, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen. And I'm going to pick up various verses and I've titled today's message, A Message to Survivors. A Message to Survivors. I don't know about you, but some seasons of my life i was strong and overcame but some seasons of my life man i just survived you know what i'm talking about you just you just survived how how did you come through that i don't know i just survived i went to bed and i woke up the next day and then i went to bed and woke up the next day and i look back and go gosh all i did was survive i didn't thrive i just survived and uh, one of the it's a, it's a really sad story it, it might trigger uh, emotions among you um, especially if you've had um, experiences of abuse or, or neglect or grief, uh, the, the, the goal for today's uh, talk is not for you to be triggered in all those ways, but what we, when we read through this story, I just want to give you a, a heads up that the story contains all those themes, and it is quite a sad story to begin with, and, uh, and I, and I want to invite anybody who feels like they, they've gone through something in their life and you think, Oh man, people don't know. I just survived. I just survived that season. I'm currently surviving. If if people knew how I felt this morning, <laughs> I'm just surviving. And if that is you, I want to I want to believe that today the Holy Spirit has a specific message for you. So I want to pray together and invite you to journey this uh, talk with me, a message uh, to survivors. Father God, thank you so much for the power and the privilege we have of gathering around your word. Let your word go forth in power and purpose and with clarity. I thank you that there is no scheme of man, there is no plan of the enemy that will be able to do anything to the glory of God that is about to be released in this house today. By the time we leave this place, we will never be the same again because your word is about to be declared. In Jesus' name, amen. No young child um, grows up hoping that one day they'll be an orphan. Esther, we see in the Bible, was an orphan. She grew up, and uh, not only did she lose her dad, but she lost both her dad and mom at a young age. We read this in Esther chapter 2, verse 7, that Esther was just a young girl, and she had neither dad nor mom. And uh, we were not told stories of how the death happened, but this is what it says. Mordecai, that's he, Mordecai was bringing Hadassah. Hadassah is another name for Esther, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure, was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. What does it feel like to lose your dad and your mom and the only person that's left in the country to adopt you is actually a cousin of yours. Now, where is this cousin of theirs? To give you context, not only is she an orphan, but Mordecai and Esther are currently, as, as the story is unfolding, Mordecai and Esther are currently prisoners of war because they are now slaves in another land. So if we read the previous uh, two verses... 
verses 5 and 6, you will see context. There was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shemai, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Watch this, verse 6. Who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. So here's the story. These guys are Jews. They used to live in Jerusalem, uh, Mordecai and uh, Mordecai's cousin Esther, who is now an orphan. And so not only has she lost her dad, she has lost her mom. But one fine day, she finds out that King Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem, carries them away to another country as slaves, as prisoners of war. So here she is in Susa, in the city called Susa, and... um, And you can imagine the pain, the trauma, the brokenness a young girl like that may have had to face. No dad, no mom, being carried away as a prisoner of war into another country. The pain, the loneliness, just the utter brokenness of the situation is incredibly bad. Where is Susa? Susa is one of the cities of perhaps one of the most powerful countries, powerful kings, this world has ever seen in world history. If we go back to Esther chapter 1, verse 1, we read about this king. If we can have that uh, up, it, it, will talk, it talks about a king called Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. Here is a king who had jurisdiction over 127 countries. So he basically ruled half of the world. And Susa happened to be one of those cities uh, in his jurisdiction of reigning. Obviously, one of those countries is his. Every other country is a country that he has invaded and enslaved. And so he's got millions and millions of slaves all over the world. One of those cities is a city called Susa. And here, Esther, an orphan who has neither father nor mother, is living as a slave, adopted by a cousin called Mordecai, and is there living as a slave. I mean, what kind of dreams do you have when you're an orphan? What kind of dreams do you have? You have to remember back in the day, you don't have social care and you don't have systems that will give you opportunities. You basically had no rights. You had no future. You basically lived as a slave. No dad, no mom, nobody to share your dreams with a cousin who has adopted her. One day, this guy, King Ahasuerus, decides that he doesn't like his wife anymore. His wife's name was Vashti. Vashti, uh, you know, one day he got drunk and he said, I have an idea. I'm going to get my wife out and I'm going to get her to parade, walk around in front of all of my drunk guests because I want to show off how beautiful she is. Vashti said, I'm not doing that. So the king said, well, if you're not doing that, off with your head, and she was gone. She, she was no longer the queen. She was no longer his wife, and uh, he was very angry, and that's what he did. Of course, when you have such power, he thought he could get away with anything, and he did. So now he doesn't have a wife. A few advisors come to him and say, hey, listen, we have an idea. You've got 127 countries that you rule over, And you can do whatever you want. So here's our idea. We're going to go through all 127 countries, and we're going to search for the most beautiful virgin girls in the country. We're going to build a building. They called it a harem in those days. We're going to build a building, and we're going to house all these girls in this building, 
And every night you can have whoever you want, your choice. The king says, what a great idea. I like this idea. And so that's what happens. You see in the Bible that all these people came and started going after people um, started going after these girls. And so you, you can imagine the knock on the door in Esther's room or Esther's house. They knock on the door, the doors open, and it's the soldiers outside. Are you Esther? Yes. Well, the king has passed a law in the land. If you are beautiful and if you're a virgin, we're taking you as a sex slave for the king. And we're going to house you in his palace. And there's going to be this large room where all the girls are going to live. And the king is just going to decide who, she want, who he wants to spend the night with on that night. So let's read this story. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Esther chapter 2, verse 2. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. Verse 3. And let the king appoint officers in all of the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful virgins to the harem in Susa, in the citadel, under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given to them. What an amazing uh, way to spend the taxpayers' money. Just thought it's like, there's like an entire staff team just to do that. You know? And there's, go, there's people being dragged out of their houses day after day, young virgins saying, well, here is what your future is going to look like. Now imagine, if you were Esther, what are you feeling at that moment? You've lost your dad. You've lost your mom. You're already a slave, a prisoner of war in another country. And because of a political law that's passed in the land, you now have to go and become a sex slave to the king who just thought it was a good idea. So she gets removed from her house and she goes and starts living in this harem. Now, here's the thing. When you get to the harem, before the king spends the night with you, the rule is you've got to go through 12 months of beauty treatments. Not even joking. On the taxpayers' money. That was part of the law in the, in the country. Let's see if we can, <clears throat> if we can find that. Um, look at verse chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. This is what it says. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months of treatment with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments. Like, if you were Esther, what would you be feeling at that moment? Like, you're about nine months in to these... I don't know, oil and spice treatment. Apparently supposed to make you beautiful and get ready for the king to have you for the night. And he's got thousands of such women and he's just going through them night after night after night. If you were a believer in God, surely at some point you might be tempted to ask the question, why me? Why did this happen to me? Why did my dad die? Why did my mom die? Why are we prisoners of war? Why am I currently a sex slave? Why am I going through 12 months of beauty treatments for the king to use me for one night? And he might never, I might never see him again, but he, that's, that's going to be the rest of her life. What do you do when you are a believer in God? And Esther was a believer in God. What do you do when you find yourself in that moment and you realize all I've got is questions 
but I don't have answers. You see, Esther was a survivor. She survived the death of her dad and she made it through. She survived the death of her mom and she made it through. She went through orphanhood and she made it through. She went through adoption by a cousin and she made it through. She went through being plucked out of her home in Jerusalem and placed in Susa as a prisoner of war and she made it through. She got, she made it through when she was plucked out of her, her prisoner of war camp and brought to the sex station camp where she is going through beautifying treatments and she is just surviving one thing after the other. We're not talking about a middle-aged woman, an elderly woman, not that it would be any easier, but this is a very young girl, probably just a teenager going through a atrocious, horrific things through her life. And all she is doing is surviving. Is there anybody in here that has no answers for certain seasons that you went through? You know you came through it not because you were courageous, not because you didn't question God, not because you didn't raise a fist at God, not because you didn't have to dip into coping mechanisms that numbed the pain, but you just knew you woke up another day because maybe there was a child depending on you, maybe because you were too afraid to commit suicide maybe because you were too afraid to cry and too afraid to quit but you just survived and you just turned up well I want to say to you there are some things that God does with survivors that changes the course of history if you know that you are alive today not because you are smart and clever but if you know there are few seasons that you survived and you just survived because of the grace of God come on give God a hand of praise in the house this morning there are survivors in this room who have come through seasons hell and high water And you know that you are alive today because God kept you and led you and held you. Not because we were clever. You just survived. She just survived. Esther just survived. She just survived another tragedy. And she just kept surviving. She just kept surviving. And she just kept surviving. She just kept living another day. She just survived. And so here she is. She comes into the king's bedroom one night. And the king spends the night with her. And the king says, of all the girls I've slept with, I like this one the most. So I have another idea. I'm going to pass a law that she becomes my wife. So she becomes the queen. Now, not only is she abused and ostracized, she has now no choice but to be the wife of her abuser. What would that feel like? And remember, not only is she now the wife of her abuser, the king continues every night to sleep with another woman. It's not like now she's got this amazing relationship. with The harem continues. In fact, <laughs> in, one, in one bit in the book of Esther, Esther actually says to Mordecai, she says, it's been weeks since I saw the king. Because even though she's got the title of being queen, He continues to have this harem where all of these girls that he has plucked out, virgins that he has plucked out of their houses have been stored for him to exploit at night. Imagine that, that, that woman's story and say, okay, 
because back in the day you would you would have dreams young girls would have dreams because there were messianic prophecies that one day Jesus would be born of a virgin and that's why Mary was born of a virgin and there'd be people waiting hoping that one day there would be perhaps the messiah that would be born through them and then 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 they have the story of how they lost their virginity how did you lose your virginity well i was sold as a sex slave and the king that day abused me and that's how i lost my virginity how how do you even cope with that level of trauma and pain when you have hopes and dreams going up that god is a good god and god is able has anybody ever asked the question if god is all able god is all powerful if god is good if god is doing something with my life why is it that i just seem to be going through one season after another where i'm not thriving i'm just surviving my dad dies and my mom dies and i'm get abused as a young teenager i get plugged out of my house i get sold into sex slavery here i am and i'm legally supposed to be this man's wife and she continues to be with all these other women she just survived and she just survived but the beauty is that lady esther finds herself in scriptures and an entire book is dedicated to her because survivors have a purpose and survivors are able to fulfill things that nobody else can one day a man called haman decides that he is going to kill all of the jewish people in all of the 127 countries that king ahasuerus is ruler of so haman comes to king the king ahasuerus and says listen uh, there is a group of people that live in all of these countries they're called the jews they are always trouble and i recommend that you pass a law to kill all of them the king says That sounds like a good idea. Here you go. Takes off his signet ring, gives it to Haman, and says, "Okay, you go pass the law. A law is passed. Every one of those hundred and twenty-seven countries receives a letter. It's read out in town after town, village after village, city after city. Here, 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 here is a new law. If you are of Jewish origin, identify yourself. The king wants you dead." the bible says the city of susa was thrown into utter confusion let's read that just chapter 3 verse 15 the couriers hurriedly went out hurriedly by the order of the king and the decree was issued in susa the susa the citadel and the king and haman this is the guy that came up with <clears throat> Uh, sorry verse 15 if we can go to verse 15 uh, the couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king and the decree was issued in susa the citadel and the king and haman this is the guy who came up with the idea sat down to drink but the city of susa was thrown into utter confusion look at chapter 4 and verse 1 when mordecai that's the cousin that adopted esther learned all that had been done mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry mordecai in the book of esther is kind of a representation of the person of the holy spirit today in our lives the holy spirit primarily is not a spirit that comes to empower us even though he does that the holy spirit is not a spirit that comes to give us gifts even though he does that but the holy spirit's primary job is to give us the spirit of adoption the bible says because of the spirit of adoption we can look at god and call him abba father he can call him daddy he is our heavenly father how did we enter into that relationship we entered into that relationship because the holy spirit gave us the spirit of adoption and mordecai the person that adopted adopted esther the per- 
person that brought the spirit of adoption, when he heard the news that all the Jews were going to be killed, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth of ashes, went into the midst of the city, and he cried with a loud and bitter cry. And there was mourning in every place. Look at verse 3, chapter 2, uh, so chapter 4, verse 2. Two and three, the next couple of verses, there is not. He went to the entrance of the king, and no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. Verse three, in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Can you imagine what that must have felt like in the entire 127 countries? Now, When Mordecai is crying and weeping and he's just losing himself, verse 4, some of Esther's servants, Esther is now the queen, remember, verse 4, if we can go, Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed, so she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off the sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Esther thought, oh, poor, poor Mordecai, he's crying, he's in sackcloth, maybe he needs some clothes. I'm the queen, I've got all the money in the world, I'll send him some clothes. So Esther sends him some clothes to say, here you go, hope you feel better. Mordecai's like, I don't want your clothes. I don't want your clothes. You see, sometimes when we come into a moment where we realize, oh, The problem is not the problem. The problem is a bigger problem. Have you ever had that moment where you try to fix a problem and can't be fixed and you think, what then is the problem? Because Mordecai is trying to be clothed by Esther now. He said, oh, poor guy, he doesn't have clothes. I'll send him some clothes. Mordecai is like, you can can keep your clothes. I don't want your clothes. My problem is not that I don't have clothes. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm in sackcloth. Sackcloth was in those days, um, I've seen sackcloth before. It is brown and tattered and ugly and rough and it's basically you took off your clothes and you wore sackcloth because it was an expression of the deepest distress and grief you could ever express and if you were in sackcloth it meant you had pain that you could not express that's the that's the way in those days people express their grief and their weeping but Mordecai is like no you can keep your king's clothes to yourself I don't want your clothes verse 5 Verse 5, chapter 4. Then King Esther called for Hattak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, ordered to go to Mordecai and learn, hey, why is it that you are crying? So Mordecai then explains to him what is going on, that all of the Jews are going to die. And look at verse 12. This is with me just giving you a context of what the survivor had to go through. And at this point... In Esther chapter 4, starting from verse 12, the story begins to change. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Hold on a minute. What is Mordecai? What is the spirit of adoption? What is this cousin saying? This cousin is saying, look, I don't have an explanation for why your dad died. 
I don't have an explanation for why your mom died. I don't have an explanation for why you're slaves right now. I don't have an explanation why you are one of the king's sex slaves. I don't have an explanation why you now forced to marry into this, to marry, to get, be married to this man who's abusing you anyway. But I'll tell you this, who knows? Maybe you find yourself alive for such a time as this because God has a purpose in and through your life. Can I encourage every person that is a survivor here today? You will never walk in your purpose if you hold on to your story more than your purpose. You will never walk in your purpose if you hold on to your tragedy more than your purpose. You will never walk in what God has for you if you will be stuck. Why? No, I'm not moving until God tells me why my dad died. I'm not moving until God tells me why my mom died. Hey, we all have grief. We all have sorrow. But there's got to be an expiry date where you say, I am done crying. This is the last day I'm going to cry because I've been crying for three years over this. I've been coming for three, 13 years over this. I'm not getting any answers. All I am is stuck here and I know that I am in a place where my dad died, my mom died, I'm a prisoner of war, I'm a sex slave, I'm adopted by my cousin, and I don't know why all these things happen to me. But God in this moment is revealing to me that maybe there is this thing that is that he wants to accomplish through my life, and I cannot be involved and engaged in what God has for me if all I am doing is holding on to all of the pains of yesterday. I want to say to every person that is a survivor here today, God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Who knows you are right now alive for such a time as this because God wants to use you. If God's plan was just for you to get to heaven, the day you gave your life to Jesus, he would have killed you and taken you to heaven and you would have spent eternity there. But you are alive here and you are alive today. Why is there still breath in your nostrils? Who knows maybe you are alive today for such a time as this because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But you say you don't know what I've got through. I've gone through orphanhood. My dad had to be buried. I had to bury my mom. I had to lose my virginity to a king who abused me. I am now legally married to the man that sleeps with a thousand other women. Here I am and there is a legal law in the country that says the Jewish people are going to be dead. And Mordecai comes to Esther and says, who knows? God has put you in this place for such a time as this because you are the answer to a generational problem to every person that has gone through pain and trauma and abuse in the past. I want you to know, let the story that God is writing for you be greater than the story of your past, greater than the story of your pain, greater than the story of your abuse, greater than the story of where you came from. If you will let it go, you will be able to embrace something that God wants to do in your life. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. Let me explain to you what I'm wearing now. Um, is, is my coat. The shoes I'm wearing now are my shoes. Let me ask you a question. Do you have permission to do with my shoes what you like? You don't. Why? Because they're mine. The Bible says you have been bought with a prize. You are no longer yours. That means you have no permission to do with your life what you please. Because your life is no longer yours. Yeah, but I'm still feeling guilty. Well, it's not. Who gave you the right to feel guilty? Your life is not yours. 
Yeah, but I'm still feeling hurt about the things that people did. Who gave you the right to feel that way? You are no longer yours. The Bible says you have been bought with a price. The price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are no longer yours. So you are not what you feel. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. And that's the only way you'll be able to let go of your story. Because if your story is more important than God's story, then 20 years from now, you will have a grim, you will have a, a frown on your face and you'll need somebody else to put their arms around you and say, what's going on? Oh, I'm just feeling really sad about what somebody did to me in 1983. That was 40 years ago. Get over yourself. God wants to heal your pain. God wants to redeem those wasted years. God wants to make sense out of your trauma. Mordecai comes to Esther and says, who knows? Maybe you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I feel faith rising in the room. I feel hope rising in the room. I feel lies of the enemy being plucked away from people who have been sitting on the sidelines and say, I'm unfortunate. I've been abused. I've been ostracized. I've been orphaned. Nobody can love me. Nobody can use me that is a lie of the devil who knows this is your moment and God wants to lift you up and use you who knows who knows perhaps you have come into this moment for such a time as this so in order to embrace God's story you got to forget yours you got to let go of yours some people are trying to move forward by holding quickly and, and fiercely to their past. Whatever it is that you need to do, do it. Get the help. Get therapy if you want to. Get prayer if you want to. Do the journals if you want to. Do all of the things that you can so you can live in a place where you say, when the opportunity comes knocking, I'll be ready. When the opportunity comes knocking, I won't think, ah, oh, I don't want to go ahead because you know, you know what I've been through. You know what people have done to me. You know what I've done. You know who I've done it with. I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. When the opportunity comes, you should be ready. Do you know that in Britain today, we have a catastrophe that's perhaps worse than the catastrophe we just read? And that's this. For the first time in the census that they took in Britain this year, Christianity is a minority. It's a minority religion. Do you know that it is a greater tragedy for somebody to, somebody to die without Jesus than for somebody who is a believer in Jesus Christ to be martyred? It is a greater tragedy for somebody who does not know Jesus to die than somebody who is already a believer in Jesus to be martyred for their faith. So we here in Britain look at all these countries and say, we've got to pray for the Middle East. Yes, we do. We've got to pray for the persecuted church. Yes, we do. But some of them are giving their lives to Jesus. And when they give their lives to Jesus and they take a gunshot to the head and they say their last words and their last prayers, in an instant the Bible says you will be absent from the body and present with the Lord Jesus Christ. They are going home to the eternal reward where they will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. But in England and Scotland and Wales, up and down this country, there are men, women and boys and girls who are dying every day without Jesus. That, my friends, is a greater tragedy. Not only is Christianity a minority religion in this country, but if there is a global census taken on how many people attend church at least once a week, 
Christians, if you identify yourself as a Christian and you go to church at least once a week, Indonesia ranks number one. Britain ranks three from the bottom. 5% of those Christians who identify themselves as Christians in Britain, 5% say weekly being involved in church is a priority in my life. Three from the bottom. We are the globally, globally third from the bottom. But who knows? Perhaps God has brought you to this town, to this church for such a time as this. Because God wants to do something with your life that will change the history and the trajectory of this nation so it can never be the same again. You think, well, if there is such a global problem, if there is such a national problem, what is it that I can do? What is it that I can do? What is it that I can do to change these statistics? You see, Esther was just an abused lady. Esther was somebody that she looked at herself and said, I'm, a, I'm, just, a, I'm just a survivor. I'm just a victim. I'm just an orphan. But you see... There was a moment when she woke up and said, maybe God has brought me to this place for such a time as this. Look at Esther's reply. This is what Mordecai challenges Esther to do. Look at Esther's reply in verse 15. So Esther replies, verse 15, if we can... Um, if we can go back to the previous verse, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Look at her reply, verse 16. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. Hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I die, then I die. She got to a place where you say, you know what? I'm going to put my life on the line. And if it costs me everything, thing if the cost is death then I'm ready to do it because back in the day you were not allowed to go into the king's presence without invitation even though she was his own wife and she says you know what I am just going to the king straight away and I'm going to tell him what the problem is and I'm going to fix this problem but before I do that she sends word to Mordecai and says you go gather all the Jews tell them not to eat or drink for three days we're going to fast and pray and at the end of the three days we're going to rise up and we're going to take a risk and it might be that we will die and in case we die we're going to die but we're not going to we're not going to quit and think, oh, if only we had tried. There is a nation that needs Jesus. Britain needs Jesus. England needs Jesus. Barry St. Edmunds needs Jesus. And is looking for men and women, young boys and girls, people who have maybe gone through trauma and you've survived a thing or two to say, I am going to take up the call to fast and pray. You think that's it? Yeah, that's it. What will happen if this church comes together from the 5th of November to the 25th of November to say, count me in. I'm going to fast and pray that men and women, boys and girls will give their lives to Jesus. Could it be that in 2023, something will happen in this country that will change the direction of this town, of this city, of this county, of this country? You may be a survivor, but you can pray. You may be abused, but you can pray. You may have pain, but you can pray. You may be going through hurt, but you can pray. You may be somebody who says, God cannot use me. I've got no skills. I've got no talents. I've got no abilities. But you can pray. Is there anybody that says, count me in. I'm ready for the war. I'm ready for the battle. I'm going to pray. 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 You think that you're telling me that's all she did? Yeah, that's all she did. She said to all the Jewish people, 
We're going to fast and pray for three days. And if I die, I die. You see, God doesn't want your service. He wants your whole life. It's easy to send clothes. Oh, you don't have clothes? I'll give you some clothes. Here you go. Bless you. I see you're cold. I hope you're doing it. And Mordecai's like, no, don't give me clothes. I want your clothes. I want your clothes. And we think we can impress God by ticking a box, coming to the offering, giving him a small tip. Check. Came to church on Sunday. Check. Lifted my hands when it was my favorite song. The other two, I kept them down. Check. Sat down and listened to the preacher without falling asleep. Check. Did my duty for the week. You think that impresses Jesus? Come on. He died for you. He laid his life on the line for you. He deserves better than that. He deserves your all. And she says, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. But we're going to fast and pray for three days. I want to change the statistics of this nation. So the next time a census is taken, it won't be 5% of British people who say, oh yeah, we go to church once a week. Could it be possible that you can dream with God and say in this generation, we're going to see the next time the census is taken, that 10% will say, you know what? We go to church every Sunday. Could it be possible that you can dream with God that in West Suffolk, in Barry St. Edmunds in the surrounding towns and villages we're going to pray for a move of God a mighty awakening of God to say God do something people are perishing people are dying without Jesus and we don't know what to do we're just survivors we haven't got much we're just survivors we've got a bit of pain we've got a bit of trauma and we've got a bit of faith all we can do is bow our knees fast food and pray that God will somehow have from heaven and bring about a change in our national, in our nation and in our country, in our cities in our towns, if you are willing to do that, who knows maybe God has brought you here for such a time as this I want to take a moment and address my friends my brothers and sisters in this room who perhaps are not people who you're not, you didn't you weren't born and raised in this country like many of you in this room who came to Britain, I too am an immigrant. I was born in Nigeria, grew up in Botswana, spent my life in India and the Middle East. I've traveled extensively in Europe, I've lived for weeks at a time in the US, and I've seen the world. And let me give you an encouragement if you don't, if you are here today, and you find yourself in this country, but you weren't born here, you maybe came here for work, you maybe came here because you were, you were looking out for an opportunity. You see, you can only grow and bloom where you are planted. Don't be here hoping and assuming and thinking, ah, I can't wait for the day when I'll be back again. Okay, one day if you're going to go back, that's great. But in the meantime, who knows, maybe God has brought you here for such a time as this to bring an impact on this nation. Maybe there are missionaries that have been sent. Maybe you came here because you were looking for work and you applied for a job and you landed here and you are working. But who knows, maybe you are here for such a time as this because God wants to use your prayers to change a nation. In fact, when Jeremiah was prophesying to Israel, we'll read this if we can have the scripture up from Jeremiah. He was talking to some prisoners of war similar to Esther and Mordecai. And he spoke to the people who were in captivity and said, when you go to that nation, when you go to that country, seek the welfare 
of the nation that I'm sending you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Remember, these are Jews living in Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Verse 6, take wives, have sons, have daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Even if you find yourself as a prisoner of war in another country, don't wait there thinking, oh, I'm just going to put YouTube videos on that's going to remind me of how warm it is in the West Indies right now, how warm it is in India. I hate the British winter. Listen, you will spend the rest of your life complaining about how bad things are or how bad the NHS is or how bad the country is or how cold it is or how cold the atmosphere or the spiritual atmosphere of the nation is. Or you can like Esther and say, hey, maybe I have come here for such a time as this. Maybe my children are going to grow up in these schools and God is challenging me to pray for the schools to which my children are being sent to. God is praying. God is challenging me to say, come on, pray for this nation because in seeking its welfare, you will find your welfare. You will never be able to bloom if your heart is not here. You will never be able to prosper if your heart is not here. And one day, maybe you may go to another town, another city, another nation. God may plant you elsewhere. But in the meantime, plant yourself here. Do everything possible to say, God, I am going to seek the welfare of this church. Because in seeking its welfare, I will find my welfare. I'm going to seek the welfare of this town. Because in seeking its welfare, I will find my welfare. I'm going to seek the welfare of this nation. Because in seeking its welfare, I will find my welfare. Could it be possible that through your prayers, through your fasting, there is going to be a directional shift, a directional change in this church, a directional change in this nation. You say, all I am is a survivor. Yes, you may be a survivor, but you can pray. You can pray. And the next day, Esther goes to the king. The king extends his his scepter which means she has found favor and I don't have time to go through chapter 5 but if we jump all the way to Esther chapter 7 this is the conversation that Esther is having with the king in verse 3 Esther chapter 7 verse 3 Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had just been merely sold as slaves, men and women, I would not, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not compared to the loss of the king. The king said to the queen, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king arose from his wrath while the wine drinking and went to the palace garden. And Haman stayed to beg his life for his life from a queen. For he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. The king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. And Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. The king said, 
will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house as the word left the mouth of the king they covered Haman's face then Habona one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king said moreover the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai whose words saved the king is standing at Haman's house 50 cubits high and the king said hang him on that so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai could it be possible that in this day and age we're not out to hang people and we're not out to kill people because the warfare that we wage is not against flesh and blood it's not against people but the warfare we wage is against powers and principalities and thrones and dominions and there is a war for your life there is a war for your children's lives there's a war on for your children's children's life and it could it be possible that if one or two people say well i'm a survivor but i'm going to pray i'm a survivor but i'm going to fast could it be possible that through your lives you will see powers bow their knees to jesus principalities bow their knees to jesus demonic powers bow their knees to jesus just like Haman was hanged on that pole and the entire Jewish people living in all of those 127 countries were saved on that day could it be possible that somebody's salvation rests upon your prayers somebody's salvation rests upon your obedience somebody's salvation rests upon your surrender somebody's salvation rests upon you to say if i die then i die but i'm all in and i'm going for jesus an entire people was saved because of a survivor that said i'm going to pray and if i die i die i'm all in i'm all in i'm all in that's close in esther chapter 8 just read verse 9 and then close there's so much here But I'll close with this the king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month which is the month of Sivan on the 23rd day an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia 110 27 provinces to each province in his own script and to each people in his own language and also the Jews in their script and language basically what happens was there was a second letter sent out this letter said wherever this letter is read this replaces the previous edict that the jews should be killed this letter says the jews need to do whatever they can to survive to thrive to live could it be possible a national change can occur to somebody just fasting and praying you see you got to let go of your story you got to let go of your pain you got to let go of everything that has wounded you that has harmed you that has scarred you and you got to stop teaching te- treating christianity as a checkbox you are not your own you are not your own your life has been bought with a price you are not your own will you close your eyes with me for a moment and will you talk to god say god what is my role here what should i do where should i step up maybe we can read this verse if the media team can 1 corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 and 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Maybe before we pray, we can read this together uh, off the screen. If they can get, it, get that up for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and verse 20. read it from my Bible. This is what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and verse 20. Do you not know, there it is, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Why? Because you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Just like you have no right to do anything to things that I have bought with my money. You have no right over your own life because you were bought and you are now the property of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus Christ has paid for it. That means you've got to live your life down to serve Jesus. I believe today is going to be a commissioning morning where some people say, You know what? I am going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm going to put my roots in. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to stop worrying about what has helped me in the past. I'm going to fast and pray. And I'm going to declare that our next season here at Beacon Church. Come on, who can dream with me? 2024 to 2031. More baptisms than we've ever seen. More services than we've ever seen. More young people than we've ever seen. More Beacon Kids services than we've ever seen. More worship nights than we've ever seen. More churches planted than we've ever seen. More men and women, boys and girls giving their lives to Jesus. But what can I do? I'm just a survivor. You can pray. You can pray. You can fast. You can do something in this generation so that lives can be changed. We're going to believe starting on January, we're going to double services on a Sunday. More people. You're going to invite people to say, come on, let's pray. If you're able to the media team, can you just have the, um, the, the website up? If people haven't seen it, there's so many of you that have already signed up on the website for that 21 days of fasting and prayer. There it is. It was there a moment ago. So if you look on the screen, this is our, this is our homepage. There is uh, six different buttons for you to press. Number one, how do I pray? If you are new to prayer, if you're a new Christian, you've got a prayer guide that's getting started that will teach you everything about prayer, how to pray, how to use this book. Of course, you don't have to, but if you think, man, I don't know how to pray, then there is just a step-by-step guide on how to get started. If we go back to the website, please. The second one, what do I pray for? During these 21 days, we've got a prayer guide on what we're going to focus on on Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays, all the way to the end of the week so that if you've got a specific day to pray, you've got prayer points there as well as uh, promise scriptures that will encourage you to pray. And uh, if we go back to the website and uh, there is a challenge that we're calling the 7-7 challenge, you don't have to click on that one, you can close that one because it's quite a long video. 
but basically we're encouraging people to pray for seven minutes at seven in the morning or seven in the evening if you're really really short on time we wanted to make it accessible for absolutely everybody and the thing that we've been speaking about today is the next one which is joining the prayer team which is 21 days of prayer if you click on that link it'll take you to a form where you can enter your name, your phone number, email address. In those 21 days, you can select all the days that apply to you and submit it. And we will get those details from you. And we will send you a reminder on the day that you are praying. But also it will give you an opportunity to say, I had a word, a picture, a scripture, so that we can collectively read and receive the mind of God. If we go back to the website, we've also got our prayer nights, three nights. If you click on that link, it'll take us to your take us to the events page as you can see there's three prayer nights there wednesday the 8th wednesday the 15th and wednesday the 22nd from 8 p.m to 9 p.m i would love for you to prioritize that it'll be in this room between eight and nine three nights of prayer in when in, in november i'd love for you to be part of that and lastly if we go back to the website uh, if we click the back button yep that one there then if you are new to fasting and you don't know what that is, if you click on that, we've also linked <clears throat> the uh, a link for you to read into what fasting might look like. And if you scroll down all the way, there's uh, different types of fast, scripture, steps to fasting, guides to fasting, etc. We want to thank two churches that have been mentoring us on this journey, the Church of the Highlands in Alabama, as well as uh, Martin and Esther Story in Coventry CLM. I spoke to Martin even last night uh, just about this journey. And uh, there's other churches in, in different parts of the world that are standing with us on this journey. Come on, who is excited for God to use your life to do something, to make a difference in this time? I believe your life can make a difference. I believe your prayers can make a difference. I believe your fasting can make a difference. It's easy to pray for the things that concern you. Because you may be like Esther going, oh, I'm just in the palace. All I need is make sure that my staff are paid. No, 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 no. There's a wider issue here. And those things need to break your heart. Don't try and give Mordecai some clothes and say, yeah, I've ticked the box. I've come to church. No, no. God deserves more than that. Who knows? God has brought you such a time as this. For a moment of concentration privacy, if you can close your eyes, I'm going to pray for every person that says, I'm a survivor, but count me in. I'm going to join the Lord's army. I'm going to see a day when Christianity will not just be a minority religion in this country. And many people will say, I am proud to serve Jesus. And even the people who say, I am a Christian, 5% of British Christians, 5% of British Christians say it's a priority for them to be at church once a week. 5%. That's a tragedy. Who knows? God has perhaps brought you here for such a time as this so that those statistics can be changed. If you are here today and you say, man, that's me. Count me in, Lord. I want to pray. I'm going to sign up today on the website. I'm going to tell people like Esther said, man, I'm going to tell my friends to fast and pray with me. Then maybe you need to do that. Why don't you make that decision before God today? Father, I pray for every survivor in the room. I pray for every orphan in the room. I pray for every reject in the every person that's been rejected in the room. Every person that's living with wounds. We may be survivors, but we have the power to bring change. 
And we pray in the name of Jesus that not a single person will find themselves sitting on the sidelines, observing, spectating, instead of participating. Father, if we die, we die. If we perish, we perish. But Lord, help us to use this moment to bring a difference to Barry St. Edmunds, to bring a difference to Suffolk, to bring a difference to Britain. Lord, may our kids' services and our youth services and our worship services and our baptism services and our child dedication services, may they be the most glorious ones we've ever seen. We prophesy, we declare 2024 onwards is our season for growth and multiplication. And we know that when we seek your welfare, when we seek your church's welfare, when we seek your town welfare, when we seek the welfare of this nation, Father, we thank you that you will look after our welfare. So to every person that has said yes to your call, I command your spiritual life blessed. I command your marriages blessed. I command your children blessed. I command your finances blessed. I command your health blessed as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. May everything be added to your life in the name of Jesus. Father, we take a stand today to say we will not tolerate a nation dying without Jesus. So Lord, we are here. We've got our wounds. We've got our troubles. We've got our faults. We've got our pain. But we pray, use us. We're ready to pray. In seven days time, we start. Seven days from today is the 5th of November and we start. Help us to fast and to pray and to see the favor of God manifest in our generation. In Jesus' name, amen.